Welcome to SHIFT, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Scott Webster from Claiborne Education on the line with us. Scott, I'd love if you can introduce yourself and your firm. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here today, Tyler. Uh, always good to talk to another industry peer. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, my name is Scott Webster. I'm one of the proprietors at Claiborne Education. We're uh, a firm based out of Central Virginia. And over the, the last decade or so, we've really built a brand around working with our clientele one-to-one. Specifically, my background is in um, helping students navigate the ever-shifting landscape of higher ed. Uh, mostly that entails asking big questions about how to deploy the resources available to them, how to plan ahead for some of the major milestones they encounter specifically in high school. So that would be ACT, testing, college application uh, preparation, and even generalized academic support. Right. Great. And so today we're going to be talking about the ACT and SAT. And you said this is something that you, a question you field a lot, right, is how you should approach essentially one of these exams or, or both uh, for the crazy people uh, to optimize obviously for a high score, but also just like the strategy when you're, when you're getting started. Right. So I'd love to, for you to maybe take it from the top here and tell us what you feel like are the key cornerstones when you're starting to talk to parents about this and, and students, and then uh, how you take it from there once you've learned those things. Certainly, yes. Yeah. This is the the question of the year, really the question of um, pandemic for for most families. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, so maybe to to lay some context first, um, prior to pandemic, it was just assumed that at some point you have to sit for these admission tests. Most often, with some geographical variants, uh, that would be SAT or ACT for for us on the East Coast. That was always the SAT, um, but but it meant sometime junior year, you would be sitting for a preliminary version of this test, and that would be the first major milestone. It would give you some some data on where you're starting, and that would set the stage for talking to your school counselor, imagining what these scores can do for you as you build your portfolio and prepare for that application season uh, fall of senior year. Uh, but starting a game plan around test prep for SAT and ACT, first and foremost, has to start with um, evaluating what your bandwidth is in order to build your portfolio. I work with mm-hmm. students all the time who just have endless academic, extracurricular, athletic uh, commitments. So 
to effectively prepare for these tests, you have to treat it like any of those other commitments, right? You don't improve as an athlete by just reading a couple of books, watching some YouTube clips, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, going out on the field. The same is true of these tests. So uh, that context informs a lot of the conversation that I have with a family who wants to know, is it worth our time and our resources, realistically, uh, to sit down, prepare for these tests for weeks, months, a semester, and uh, that that brings a lot of anxiety into the initial conversation. Right. Yeah. So when when you're talking to parents or and or students, right, like what are the key dimensions of that first conversation that where you're trying to scope out what their goals are? Uh, absolutely. We have to start there. Um, some families have very clear and early goals, which makes the conversation much easier. Um, mm -hmm. That could be specific schools of interest. It could be uh, particular score outcomes that they're, they're working towards, and they, they may have a, a greater awareness of the scale of these two tests and, and what mm -hmm. is required to achieve those goals. Other families, and, and this might be the majority anecdotally, uh, don't know what to expect at all. And their right. questions are something to the effect of what's a good score, which is a very, very nuanced question. Well, to it's just answer. the answer is it depends. <laughs> yes, which is not <laughs> like where are you trying to go? Hear. If a good score when you're trying to go to Harvard is, you know, 1500 plus. Yes. A good score if you're trying to go to, you know, the state school in your state could be 1,200, right? Like Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it totally depends on the state too, but that's uh, just, there's, there's a massive difference. <laughs> there is a massive difference, and it's um, therefore highly uh, contextual. Uh, and I think that's the first major learning curve that families and students have to uh, address, uh, in some ways, it's a good catalyst for longer, uh, uh, longer term questions about, well, what are your uh, goals after high school? Um, right. It's an entire different avenue to, to pursue. But if for the most part, our, our clientele uh, arrive at the conclusion that it is worth the attempt to improve uh, our score outcome. And mm. that would be commensurate with the, the goals we have in terms of uh, applying competitively to, to this list of schools. From there, right. then, we can look at some admissions data. It's publicly available, readily available, and we can calibrate programming. And, that, and that's where it's really interesting to me, right? It's like you're configuring right. the parameters of the test to the individual test taker, the individual student. Right, yeah, so let's talk about that. So once you've got sort of the goals in mind, how do you build a strategy for a client? And yeah. Yeah, so it's um, not tremendously complex. Uh, there are great resources available through, say, the College Board or ACT.org about how a typical test is scored. Uh, but it, it comes down to some quantitative uh, evaluations, which is which is great. It's not like an IQ test where you have no idea what to expect, and it's very much just a, a dynamically evolving assessment. Um, it's fixed. It's standardized. So 
what it might start with is uh, identifying a composite score that would be mm-hmm. satisfactory. And that could be a range uh, on the SAT scale out of 1600, on the ACT scale out of 36. It could be mm-hmm. a range uh, within a couple of um, standard deviations. So maybe that's, I, I think you mentioned, you know, an Ivy League, a Harvard typically we would say, well, you, you need to score as high as humanly possible, and then it's still a 3% admit rate. <laughs> so right. best of luck. But for the purposes of your test preparation in, in a silo, uh, then we would aim for building a plan around your preliminary baseline, whether that's the PSAT you took or if you took a diagnostic, a practice test, and then you need to get to 1,500 plus. Preferably right. even higher, 1540 is is typically the the threshold that you're right for towards. this like hypothetical person that's trying to go to Harvard, right? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm, the way I think we should break this down next is to talk about it moving scores, and this could you could break this out by quant or verbal, or you could just do them both together. But sure. I think like moving scores, let's say from sort of like the middle average, like Mm -hmm. 1100, trying to move them up a hundred points versus moving scores from like 1500 up to 1600, right? Or 1450 to 1550. I feel like the, the what's needed for each of those is very different. It is. Right. And so I feel like covering each of those use cases could be a good way to kind of give some breadth to the suggestions. Yes. Uh, that's absolutely critical. Um, this is, this also falls into the, the broad territory of misconceptions about the nature of these tests. Uh, so a, a theme that we should be aware of and that I, I intimate to my clients is, uh, that you, ha- you should prioritize low hanging fruit. <laughs> uh, the right. design of the test interestingly enough, right, does not reward students for doing well on harder questions, right? There's no adaptive algorithm that's going to result in a better score commensurate to the the difficulty of the question they get correct. That's different, of course, on most uh, graduate level uh, exams, as you are well aware of. They might be moving in that direction. SAT is definitely going that direction, but that's another topic entirely. Um, But in the current iteration, uh, like you said, use case, 1,100 composite, depending on how their math, uh, their quantitative and verbal reasoning categories break down, a universal approach would be to identify in their baseline where there are conceptual gaps, right? Like that's that's the foundation of the the work we do with clients. If you don't remember how a semicolon is deployed in a sentence for the verbal side, or you don't remember what a linear relationship looks like and its different extrapolations for algebra for the quantitative side, then we simply need to help students rebuild those fundamentals. That's right. often the case for students at an 1100 who are, you know, better than average, you know, 60th percentile, 70th percentile. That is not at all the case for a student who's starting at the 90th percentile, say 1400 plus and aiming for the top where it's much more nuanced, 
likely they are missing questions that are simply designed to be very difficult, nuanced, cleverly wrapped in the trappings of uh, logic or problem solving. Great. So then let's talk about that that first group first. So when you've got a when you've got somebody that's you know they're scoring eleven hundred to twelve hundred, they're trying to raise their score by hundred points. Um, how do you identify the low hanging fruit, and then how do you build a plan to attack it? Great question. Yeah, because you, we could say just find the easier questions and focus on those. But if it's unclear in an official test or in practice resources, what those questions are, then that's that's an unhelpful <laughs> recommendation. The good news, of course, is that again, because the College Board standardized uh, standardizes the design of the SAT, and the same is true of ACT. We know where those uh, those low hanging fruit fall. Almost universally, reading sections being the the major exception, uh, but for okay. Um, math in particular, uh, the easiest questions are going to uh, surface first, right? So it truly is correlated that as you progress through the math section, um, there are two on the SAT. As you progress from question one to five, it should feel fairly accessible because they are. Mm-hmm. As you move into the middle and middle late last portions of the test, that is where they are significantly more difficult. And so you can anticipate very easily where the hard questions are. Got it. So I, I didn't realize that the the difficulty was sequential for the for, the for SAT, math. But that's for, for, for quantitative math. sections, that's true. It's trickier for verbal because it, it doesn't follow a linear um, sequential pattern. Right. That's where, as as a test taker, as a student, or or as an instructor in my capacity, uh, there is nuance. There's just some institutional knowledge that you have to work in to identify, say, in the writing and language section for SAT, that a question asking about a simple clause uh, principle, about how to connect independent clauses, for example, with a semicolon or uh, a colon, whatever it may be, those are going to be low-hanging fruit. Conversely, a question that asks about the rhetorical nature of an entire sentence or where a new sentence should be inserted into an existing paragraph, we know that's simply a higher order of thinking uh, that requires far more than just knowing the rules for uh, English composition. So it yeah. takes some nuance there. I'm curious, do you feel like diagnostic tests are helpful in getting a sense for what types of questions students are getting wrong? And then do you build any plans based off of that? Um, I would say they're critical. The, uh, the first step if uh, a student comes to us is, do we have preliminary data? Otherwise, it's, it's completely anecdotal, right? Uh, something yeah. Something akin to... Uh, a student saying, yeah, I've always struggled with math, is really not informative. You can't build a plan around that. Well, what math, right? Are you missing geometry questions because you took that in seventh grade and you are now a junior (laughs) in high school? Um, So diagnostic assessments are readily available. College Board produces 
immense amounts of content that's freely accessible. Third-party publishers are all over the marketplace for practice resources. Um, so we absolutely have to start with diagnostic criteria so that we can identify where to focus a student's studies. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then once you have identified those, those low hanging fruit areas, how do you attack them and improve the score on those areas? Great question. And I'm, I imagine there's going to be some overlap here with uh, your methodology at um, Achievable. So uh, that, that then is a question of now that you have identified categorically areas for review and for improvement, um, it's a function of time and effort, <laughs> like any endeavor, right? So if, if, again, the case we used, if a student at an 1100, a 500 section score on the quantitative side is struggling primarily in geometry, well, we, we have a proprietary curriculum that we've designed, but there are, again, endless resources out there to simply review geometry principles and then mm -hmm. to translate that to the test environment. That's another nuance, though. You can mm -hmm. review all of the geometric theorems and memorize them effectively, but SAT is not a subject matter specific test. It isn't going to ask you to write down all of those theorems. It's going to ask you to deploy them uh, strategically. So you have to move from review at a foundational level to a strategic uh, engagement with the test itself. How are they going to use right triangle trig on the SAT? It's not just remember right. Sokotoa, sine, cosine, tangent. It's going to be... Here's how it's couched in a word problem. Can you model that? And can you? Right. And then it's a function of repetition, uh, spaced repetition, as we have talked about previously, is a big part of building familiarity and confidence, and that should lead into your official test. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's really good coverage of of the the student that's more in the you know average above average side. So then that, now let's go into the exceptional student. You're already scoring in the fourteen hundreds or above, and you're wondering how you're going to get to the fifteen hundreds, right? And get sort of yes. a top score that'll really get you into a, a very selective school. So those you said that those are usually a little bit harder to diagnose but i'd love for you to just walk through the process you use to diagnose kind of where where to make score improvement gains and how you attack sort of the higher level difficulty problems that you'll need to get right absolutely it is harder um because uh it it, it isn't uh, whereas a student starting at middling or 70th percentile baselines we we can make some fairly well-founded assumptions about conceptual gaps or mm -hmm. some fundamental review strategically that we need to do with a, a student. A student coming to us with a 1400, let's say it's an even split, 700-700 math and verbal, quantitative verbal. For math, for example, when you look at scoring the test, they're missing out of 58 questions, maybe eight <laughs> right. Eight questions, possibly, and, and um, that just means that the the sample size is so small. 
right? Mm. In some ways, I mean, this disclaimer I often toss out to, to families in this position, students in the position, it is much harder to improve 50 points at a 1400 than it is to improve 50 points at an 1100. Um, right. Well, but that makes sense. That's how they're designed. Of course. And yeah. it requires a, a almost surgically precise investigative work to unpack why did you miss these very specific questions? Is it conceptual? Yes. Well, then we can review that the same way the 1100 student would. That's not often the case, though. Uh, is it strategic? Is there something about the way they design these questions that reveals uh, something that's unfamiliar to you? Well, then we can dive into that. We can we can look at n numerous examples of questions that look like that, and you can practice those analytical patterns so that you increase the likelihood that you can navigate that on a future test. But there are other dimensions that could be the barrier. Maybe they're running out of time. There's a big... Uh, endurance, cognitive, psychological, <laughs> emotional endurance factor at play in these environments. So that might be something that we have to navigate holistically with them about how to cope with the length of the test, the intensity of the test environment. Well, and stay focused, right? Like if it turns out that they're just making mistakes, then that's just a focus problem. Yes, yes. Uh, if, right. So is it uh, errors in execution? Well, let we can talk about methodology that will help improve your execution, right? Systematically um, writing out the problem, annotation skills, uh, utilizing process of elimination because it's pencil and paper, though you can do this in a digital format. Uh, and then finally, the hard uh the hardest criterion to navigate with them is it sometimes is a function of the variability of the test. Uh, there have been some instances in the past where students took two tests within relative proximity to one another, maybe a month between, and they got the same number of math questions correct out of 58. But their scaled score out of 800 fluctuated 50 points. So <laughs> there is uh, there's an essence behind that of knowing what to expect about the, the game, right? How to game mm -hmm. the SAT or the ACT. And if you're seeking to apply to the most selective competitive institutions and you need top scores... The expectation is you're going to have to take this test at least three times, maybe four times, because you simply need to play the numbers game the, the, to increase the statistical likelihood that you take a favorably scaled test and that you happen to get five more questions correct on one of them. It, it's nuanced, right? Um, it's not... As simple, unfortunately, as let's just review right. some fundamentals. Got it. Well, and then any kind of concluding thoughts or tips for people as they're kind of embarking on this process? Absolutely. So uh, timeline, timing is, is probably the most important part of this process. All of the nuance of how you design uh, a study plan 
and, and how to identify appropriate resources to tap into are only relevant if you have sufficient time to execute that study plan and to take advantage of those resources. So um, my recommendation is to uh, be proactive, uh, even if you're not sure about the relative merits of sending a score with your application, you don't know what schools you're, you will ultimately apply to. Junior year PSAT is administered typically in October. Once you have scores in hand, they just came out a few weeks ago in December, that's really, again, the catalyst, the launching point for a conversation. So with those scores in hand, do a little bit of homework. Again, co uh, College Board has a lot of resources that can help you understand the breakdown. If you want to work with an expert, there are private tutors, independent tutors who can help you understand that breakdown. But don't get caught weeks before your application deadline hits and um, with very limited time and resources to deploy to securing the right. scores you need. Yeah, what would you say is more of a typical timeline? Typical like a good timeline? timeline? Yeah. Uh, so it is fairly conventional for school counselors at public schools to have the their initial conversation with a student about college, spring of junior year. Uh, and that typically means March or April tests, SAT, ACT, are the, the first official uh, undertakings for, for these tests. And then after that, maybe the student plans around a subsequent test in June at the, the end of junior year. We would just recommend, I typically recommend to clients, do it earlier. Like think about what you're taking on end of summer, rising junior year, and don't let standardized testing catch you unaware. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, there are test dates in August and October, right? So it's, you mm -hmm. can study all summer and take the test and then you still have time to kind of refresh your skills for the March take and things like that. Um, yeah, I think just like sooner is better. Sooner gives sooner you more is options. Better. And, um, also don't be afraid to sit for the official test, uh, you know, quote, unprepared, um, most institutions will allow you to select which tests to report. Most schools have a super score policy in which you can submit multiple test results and they'll effectively look at your highest individual section scores. So get some preliminary data from which you can make some informed decisions. Right. And if you don't want to pay money to sit for an official test, there's tons of practice tests online. Just make sure Definitely. that you're doing it in an equivalent way, right? So <laughs> yes. doing it doing it all the test sections in a row. Right. Doing doing it timed. I think somebody told me once there's YouTube videos that people have made where they actually pretend that they're an SAT or ACT test proctor and will like do all the all the prompts and things for you as if it's a real test experience. So just yeah. If, if you don't have to pay money to take a real, you don't to take a real test. But the point is, regardless of how you do it, getting a sense of where you're starting is really helpful. Yeah, right. If you're if you're planning to run the marathon, well, maybe you should run like a mile and see <laughs> how well you are conditioned. Right. Um, 
but but indeed you want to try to simulate the testing conditions so that you have an accurate snapshot of where your baseline is great well thanks so much this has been shift a college admissions podcast for a changing world hosted by tyler from achievable with scott webster from claiborne education you can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course by going to achievable.me and using the code podcast if you like it to get 10% off at checkout.